Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. So before I preach, I just, um, on Tuesday morning, we have a men's group, and God has just been doing some great stuff over the last, uh, really, 13 months. And one of, one of our men in our group had shared how God had really shown up financially in his life and making some big decisions. And he had shared that really God's faithfulness was through his obedience, this individual. And I was thinking about that this morning, how um, it seems like whenever you make a big life change, um, something happens to your house, right? Amen? Right? Plumbing goes, roof falls off, tornado picks up your house and throws it across the world. Anyone that ever happened, you have like a big life change and something really bad happens and you go from like, I think I can financially do this. And then you're like, I'm how many thousand dollars in the hole? Has that happened to anyone or is it just me? Thank you, Christine, right? It happens to all of us. Well, in our big life change of Sue leaving a very, uh, I'll call it comfortable job, not work-wise, but it really put us in a place financially that was very much different than we've ever been. We're like, hey, we're going to trust God. And we said this. We said, everything's changing, but our giving's not. That's what I said. Everything's changing, but our giving will not. Well, we got hit with a huge tax bill, right? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being faithful. And then uh, that was a joke. That was a joke. Um, and then this summer, like, all the plumbing goes, like literally like water's coming out of like everywhere. And we're just like, seriously? And it was the day that Sue started here at the plant. Day one, everything blew up in our house. And um, so I'm thinking like, here we go. How are we going to do this? And Sue and I just said, we are going to literally sit in our place of tension. And this actually goes really well with my sermon. So I can even say this, tension, right? What are bungee cords used for? Tension. And uh, over the last week, praise God, everything's covered financially. God supernaturally showed up. For you, it's a church clock. For me, it's a yes. He shows his faithfulness. I want to challenge you because we don't like to be challenged because we don't think the people that challenge us are fully in. I'm all in. Whether I'm at the plant or I'm somewhere else, I'm all in for the kingdom of God. And I believe God is my way maker. I believe that God is my Jehovah Jireh. That when I live in a place of obedience and faithfulness to him, no matter how much my world is falling apart, he always shows up. Always shows up. Always shows up. I want to challenge you because we don't like talking about this stuff. I have learned when I give my finances to Jesus and I am generous and I tithe, God always makes a way. And in 31 years, he has never been unfaithful. And this summer was such a huge step of faith for us as the Parkers, saying we are not changing anything even though our income is. You see how my hand went like this? <laughs> and God is being crazy faithful. Do whatever you want with that. But I'm telling you this. I want to learn to follow Jesus like the men and women of Scripture so that what happened to them in Scripture gets to actually happen in my life. 
And I see that throughout the room, that there's so many of you that have learned faithfulness, and you've been on this journey, and you've come up to me, and you said, like, does he really do that? And then you're like, you come back like eight months later, you're like, and he really does that. Amen? Good. I'm excited this morning. We are going through our core values, firm foundations. And this goes exactly with what I'm talking about. We are talking about the values of, the, of our church. What are we? We are a Christ-centered, discipleship-motivated, spirit-compelled, prayer-driven church. Think about this. A bungee cord. Why do you use a bungee cord? Why do you use a bungee cord? Someone tell me why you would use a bungee cord. What do you use it for? Hold something down, right? What else? What do you use it for, right? Anything else? Hold something down, right? It's created for tension. There's no reason to have a bungee cord without tension, amen? I'm one of those crazy families that when we go on vacation, like everything is strapped to the car. We are the Griswolds, but a little bit neater than the Griswolds. I mean, everything's bungee down and locked down. But, but when you think about this bungee cord, the reason that we have them is to cause tension. And in that tension, something good is taking place. And what I've learned in my journey of faith is that as a Christian, we step into this new journey of faith, and we want all of this tension, all of this tension to what? Go away. Amen. Thank you. It is so true. For some reason, we have been taught a lie that if we become a follower of Jesus, all of this goes away, and everything is perfect. Anyone get water in your basement this weekend? Anyone? Yeah, probably more of you than, than we want to ask. And it literally cause you to start questioning things in your soul. Does God love me? Did he fail me? Did I do something wrong? Am I living in sin? You got water in your basement. Don't beat yourself up. But here's what I want to talk about this morning. That we are a prayer-driven church. Do I get an amen? amen. Do I get a jersey amen? Uh -huh. There we go. You guys get that a little bit louder. I like that, right? That in our tension. When things happen to us, God is not asking us to step away. He's asking us to lean in more so he can deal with the tension that we are going through. Because the reality is this, we all have tension. And there are things in our life that God wants to unstrap. And oftentimes... The only way for him to take away that tension is when we just surrender it to him. So he can do not his good work, but his best work. Let's pray. Jesus, I confess, when I became a follower of Jesus, I thought my life was going to be perfect. I thought I was going to go to college, I was going to play in the NFL and I would never, ever have another issue in my life. And you have taught me that that was not the life you've called me to, but rather you've called me to something so much better. And that in my tensions, when things don't work out the way that I planned, it's for two reasons. One, to allow you to step in, and two, to show me you have something better. So Holy Spirit, I ask you for a deep work this morning in this church. In Christ's name, amen. If you have your Bibles and you want to open them, turn to Acts chapter 12, verse 1 through 5. Acts chapter 12, verse 1 through 5. 
We'll basically be going through the vast majority of this chapter. It's actually one of my favorite chapters in all of Acts because I believe it's one of those times where we get to see God intervene in a way that sometimes we don't believe that he can. And I believe this. A prayerless Christian is an agnostic Christian. You hear what I'm saying? A prayerless Christian is an agnostic Christian. And a prayerless church is an agnostic church. Verse 1. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. Remember James? He was one of the first disciples that were called. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, meaning Peter, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. So let's talk about, let's set the stage, because it's really important. Acts chapter 12. We're almost halfway through Acts, and when you really open up to the first six chapters, everything awesome was going on. Nothing bad had happened to the church. Everything was flowing. Everywhere they went, the numbers were growing. Everyone was healed. Everyone was delivered. I mean, it was like the heyday. It was like, it was like everything they touched, they really knew God was in it. But then, Acts chapter 6, Stephen becomes a believer. Next thing you know it, Stephen steps out and he starts sharing his faith. He preached, he proclaimed, he didn't get on stage, he got in a group of people and he started sharing the hope that he professes and they stoned him to death. And the church started getting really antsy. Next thing you know it, King Herod of Agrippa, who if you study your history books, was a very lethal, evil ruler. And when he saw that people saw that, 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 that they loved what was happening in the persecution, James was put to death. And he wanted James put to death. He wanted the Jewish people to rally around him. Herod was half Jewish. His wife was Jewish. He had some Judaism in him, but he was not a practicing Jew. But he was looking for popularity. Isn't it funny when we think about evil, evil is always connected to some form of humanity. Do I get an amen? Right? Sometimes we see the greatest evil when it's being lived out amongst each other. And so I think it's so interesting in the first five verses how it says that as it pleased the Jewish people, he said, let's arrest Peter. Let's arrest Peter. And he arrested Peter during Passover. How strategic was that? He was trying to slay the lead of the Christian movement. Even though there were other leaders, he was trying to slay the one who was known as the lead. And he did it during Passover. And it's interesting that when you look at what Herod had done, he had four squads with four individuals. So four times four is what? Sixteen. He had sixteen guards 
16 guards protecting, guarding someone who was accused of doing good, healing, delivering, setting people free, giving people eternity, not speaking against Judaism, but bringing the fulfillment to to Judaism. Do you know that? We sometimes have this idea in our mind that, that Christianity and Judaism were two completely separate things. No, that happened in about 1500. 13 to 1500, we started like kind of separating. You see, what Christianity is, it's the fulfillment of Judaism. Do you know that? That Jesus was the Messiah, the one that was written about in Isaiah, the one that was talked about all throughout the Old Testament that was going to bring the fulfillment of God's people, and then the Gentiles were engrafted in. You see, we forget that. But for those who didn't believe this, they wanted the movement to stop. And so what Herod was going to do, he was going to wait till after Passover to put him on trial. And it wasn't to punish him. It was to make him a martyr. And so Peter's in jail. Talk about tension for the early church. A few years old. A few years old. Actually, talked to someone recently who's only been a Christian for less than three years. And it's almost like the first two years were the honeymoon, right? It's kind of like marriage, right? And then year three, everything clicks. And you're thinking like, why do you do this? And you're like, I've been doing this for the last two years. I can't believe you act like that. I've been acting like that my whole life. You just thought it was cute, but not anymore. Now it annoys you. Right? Anyone ever say that? Do I get an amen? Sue, can you say a really loud amen? amen. Yes, she still tells me that 26 years later. What was cute the first and second year of marriage isn't cute now. And I'm like, your voice changed. What happened? But it's true. Like, it seems like when everything's going good, you're just like, this is the norm. This is how it's supposed to be. But let's be honest. Something happens. Something shifts. And it doesn't play out the way we want. So what do we do? Our tension builds and we don't trust it. And we get angry. And we get resentful. And we stop trusting each other. And we stop trusting God. And yet what God is saying is, I'm taking you into deeper waters. You trusted me with everything in the beginning. And actually nothing was different as back then. I mean, think about it. The early church made it through Jesus' death and resurrection. And they kept going. But now it's getting closer and closer and closer to home. So my thing to you is why do bad things happen? Bad things happen because of this. We live in a broken world. We live in a broken world with very broken people. And what we do is we get to a place that we don't allow ourselves to lean into life the way that God has intended us to lean in. And so we just want to be comfortable. We want to be safe. We want to be able to just kind of, kind of elude any issues or any trauma in our lives. And the reality is, is you cannot elude circumstances or trauma in your life because each one of them has that. Every single person has some form of issue or trauma that they will endure. The problem is, is how do you handle it? What do you do with it? What do you do when these traumas Some of us just check out. 
but it doesn't go away. Some of us just think like if we, you know, hear no evil, see no evil, right? Right? But is it possible that there's a lesson we're supposed to learn from the early church? When our lives become full of tension, that the same way that we've been leaning into Jesus is the same way we need to continue to. Because when we lean into Jesus and we engage in our relationship with Christ, we allow him to be the victor and not us. You hear what I'm saying? Do you believe that the same way that Jesus rescued you from death to life, he wants to rescue you in every circumstance that you find yourself in? So watch this. It says here in verse 5, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. You see, when we pray, we are declaring that God exists. When we pray, we are declaring that there is a God in the, of the universe that loves me like a really, really good father loves their child. We believe that in all things that our Father in heaven wants to be present and is longing for us to invite him into every single circumstance. You see, when we pray, we make a declaration of our conviction that God has the ability and the power to do everything and anything that he so wills. We like to say chooses, but what he wills. And what does it mean that he wills something? It means that he set things in motion for us to trust him, to know that no matter what circumstance we are up against, God has the ability and the power to literally take away that which stands in the way of him and his promises. And the church believed that. The church earnestly believed that. There's a word that I, I, I talk about all the time. It's, it, it's, a, it's a Greek word. It's called paga. Everybody say paga. Paga. It means to meet with. When you look at scripture, the word paga, every single time, it pops up. It means that someone was meeting with God. That God would intercede that God would mediate, that God would be the one that would take care of that which was happening. You see, when we paga, when we meet with God, we are interceding for someone or something. When we meet with God, we paga, we meet with him to intercede for someone or something. But again, I believe the vast majority of Christians are agnostic. 
They truly do not believe that God still shows up. I love what Jesus says. And the disciples always ask Jesus, Lord, in other words, when he says, Lord, the disciples are saying, you are above us. And as God hears you, can you teach us that he would, he would hear us as well? So they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 7, Luke chapter 10. You look all throughout Scripture, all throughout the Gospels. Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. We're asking you to teach us to pray because when you pray, Daddy shows up. Right? So, so think about your siblings. I, I'm one of literally eight, uh, seven blood, one foster. And, and it always felt like mom and dad had a favorite. Any families like that? Right? Okay, you're, some of you are lying, right? right? Or maybe it's seasonal. We joke around amongst our brothers like, you're in the season of being mom's favorite, and now you're mom's favorite, and you're mom's favorite. And, and it's like a family joke. And you always like go to the one that you know that's going to get mom and dad to say yes. You're like, come on, you go. You go, right? Right? The laugh got a little louder then, right? You go. Come on. You know we're going to be able to stay up later, right? You know we're going to be able to do this. You know maybe Christmas will get this gift. But this is what Jesus says. He says, you want to know how to pray? I'm going to teach you to meet with God. Keep on asking. You will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you for everyone. Who? Who? Come on, who? I thought it says some people. Right? Everyone. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. Everyone who knocks, it says what? The door will be opened. Simple. Ask. Hey, can you do this? Ask is the easy part, right? Seek. It's not working. What's going on? It means you're supposed to lean in a little bit more. Knock. Yes, there are things that we need to stand at the door of heaven and bang and bang. And we need to go through a process of sanctification that God is working through our soul and not only working through our soul, but working through our motives. Think about that. But when we do, he always, always answers. You see, when we pray, we are mediating before God. God, can you step in? God, can you show up? Just being completely vulnerable. It didn't surprise me. She was like, what's happening in the house? I'm like, you started work today. <laughs> I can't believe this happens. I said, it always happens. I said, every huge life change, the enemy throws something at us. And it's either through circumstance or someone, right? Circumstance or someone. You see, one of the things we need to learn is that prayer is our weapon. Come on. Prayer is our weapon. You see, the problem why people don't pray is they never realize that prayer is a weapon. Prayer is, is not a tool. It's not a hammer. It's a, let's go to war. Come on. When you look at scripture, there's, a, there's an imagery of a spear. You see, a sword is for close hand-to-hand -hand combat. 
But in scripture, there's actually this image that prayer is like a spear. You're throwing at that which can't get close to you, right? But I think what we do when we fight, we go like this. We close our eyes, we kind of spin around in a circle, and then we just heave hope because we don't trust that God's gonna hit the target. Did he just say that? I did. Nor when we see that target, we allow that target to be too big that we don't believe that my little spear can take it down. Yet, think about David. Do you really think that little stone killed him? God did. God supernaturally allowed that little stone to fling through the air, hit him on the head and take him out. Think about that. Look what, it, look what it says in Scripture, Ephesians 6, 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. But of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world. Everyone's like, it's getting darker. It's always been dark. Can't believe how dark social media ruined the world. Really? The human heart ruined the world. Not social media, the human heart, because the human heart is wicked and deceitful above what? All things. And against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Jesus says the enemy's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. It's not trip, hurt, and humiliate. It's to steal, kill, and destroy. Think about that verbiage that Jesus is talking about. He says, but my purpose, I've come that you'd have a rich and a satisfying life. You see, there is an enemy out there. And I love what scripture says, that Paul says that the one thing that the enemy wants to do and does best is he blinds the minds of individuals. What did Jesus say on the cross? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Right? Even when someone is doing evil against you, do they really, really know what they're doing? Well, I think they do. Of course you do, because it's being done against you. But if you really saw the heart, do they really, really know? Did Herod really know what, he was gonna do, what they were doing? Did he really believe that he was, he was wooing the Jewish people? The Jewish people hated Herod. They hated him. He was a traitor. He was false. He was a hypocrite. But yet his humanness just pushed him to a place of deep, deep evil. You see, prayer is our weapon to meet the powers of darkness. Prayer is our weapon to come against the forces of darkness to enforce the victory of Jesus. To enforce the victory of Jesus. We are given a tactical weapon called prayer that allows us to see how big, how vast, how powerful the creator of the universe actually is. 2 Corinthians 10, we are human. Anyone human in this room, right? 
I think the more we follow Jesus, the, the, we, we realize how human we really are. That's a really good sign that you are following Jesus. Like, if you really want to be like, I feel so, like, I feel so human. It's like, wow, you're in a really healthy place. Like, seriously, like, I, I think when we become believers, like, we, we don't want to be human any, anymore. We want to, like, be robots and not have fun and just do what's right. And No. When we follow Jesus, we actually, one of the greatest signs of God's work in our life is realizing how human we actually are. We're broken. We're, we're, we fail. We mess up. We use God's mighty weapons. Not worldly weapons. This is what Paul says. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. What would happen if we really believed in prayer? What would happen if we believed the words of Jesus? This can't happen except through prayer in one of the translation and fasting. Like what happens if Jesus' words were true? And he said certain things will only happen through prayer. Certain things will only happen when, when you pray and fast. Not that, that, that not eating is, is like the magical, like, like mystical moment, but rather that you're taking yourself out of the picture. You're denying yourself so that God can do his deepest work so he can answer in the way that is best fitting for the circumstance and the individual. And everything that God wants to do aligns with the word of God. Do you hear me? Everything that Jesus wants to do in my life is aligned with the word of God. And if I'm saying, well, God wants me to do this, and it's contrary to God's word, he does not want me to do it. That's my own motives. That's my own selfishness. That's my own ego, because my ego is my greatest enemy. But you see, when we pray and we fast, we allow God to do everything. 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 And even when he does everything, he still surprises us. Because we are human and we are broken. And every time that God steps in for my life or for your life, it's a reminder, it's a reminding us. He's got us. He's got us. I love one time that when one of our children was sick, it was like five in the morning, he turned gray. I'm like, we gotta get him to the hospital, we gotta get him to the hospital. Little Becky comes down and she's like, no, we need to pray. We did pray. No, we need to pray. Little Becky puts her hand on her brother and she just says, Jesus, heal him. I kid you not color came back into his being, and we did not have to go to the hospital. How awesome is that? Prayer and faith like a child. Where do they learn that from? Mommy and daddy. Pray, 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 pray. Right? 
And she came down and said, hey, you forgot that your posture is supposed to be my posture, believing that he does everything and anything according to his will and his purposes. So let's see what happens. Verse 6 through 17. Now listen to this. This is really cool and it's really funny at the same time. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up! Exclamation point. So he wasn't whispering, Quick, get up! Quick, get up! And the chains fell off his wrist. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. Take off those prison clothes, put on your real clothes, get your shoes on and let's go. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. God still uses angels. God still uses angels, right? Be careful in your little evangelical world that you don't think that God still uses angels. That's theologically incorrect if you think that God still does not use his heavenly beings. Jesus wins over any, Jesus wins over any denomination. You hear what I'm saying? I don't care what denomination you, you come from. Jesus wins, and Jesus even used angels in this passages. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. He just thought it was a cool, funky dream, Right? They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city and this opened for them all by itself. That's a cool dream. That's how we dream about God. God doing things outside our power. I lost my place. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard post and came to the iron gate, sorry, leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street. And then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his what? Senses. What a great line. Peter, he finally came to his senses. It's really true. Like, this stuff works. Like, God does cool things. He said, the Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. He knew what was coming. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. This is awesome. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter's standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile... Peter is banging at the door. Dude, let me in. Let me in. Come on. Let's not chance this too much. He continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said. And then he went to another place. 
I love this narrative. They're praying. They're worshiping. That is who you are. That is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. Peter's outside. Don't open the door. Leave him out there. Right? Like, like, right? Like they're praying for like God to do something awesome and crazy. And there's Peter outside. Come on, Jesus, please, please, please hurry up. He's going to die. Come on, let me in. Right? Think about that. Two things. Peter, he saw the risen Jesus, and he finally came to his senses. The church saw healings and deliverances and crazy, crazy stuff. And they still forgot that God shows up. They were being agnostic in that moment. They were doing the right thing. We were worshiping and praying and taking communion, forgetting that God is at work. It's really true. Say that. It's really true. Say it again. It's really true. I'm going to challenge you. Let's get a little weird. If you really believe it's true, I dare someone to jump up and say, it's really true. There we go. Yes, right? There we go. Good job, Kathy. You lead the way. Yeah, Kathy. Right? Who believe it's really true? Come on, do it again. If you really believe this, I want you to jump up. There, there we go. It's like the wave. There we go, right? We're at the Jets game. It's really true we could beat the Chiefs. Yes. It's really true, right? You see, this, this is where we get to, gotta get to the place. It's really true. That as the world throws us tension, we were not created to live in tension. We were not created. And then the world got messed up in the garden. And the world got messed up in the garden, right? And the world got messed up. And then tension entered. And now we're learning to fight through the tension so we can experience the presence of God now. You see, what happened was when Peter was released and they were gathered in that house, the kingdom of God was amongst them. You hear what I'm saying? When we pray and we enter into the holies of holies, the kingdom of God is amongst us. And we allow God to do whatever he wants. And there are things that I am praying for, that I am banging on the door of heaven, and I don't have the power to open it, but he does. But he does. He does. And there are declarations that I've made in this church where some of you are like, dude, it ain't happening. Think whatever you want. My God separates the sea. My God makes water come from rocks. My God opens prison doors. My God assists me when I step into faith and I can't financially provide for a debt that has just fallen on me, he supernaturally makes it happen. Because every time I lean into him, every time I poggle with him, every time I walk in faithfulness, and even when I am faithless, he is faithful. Every time I am faithless, he says, watch, I'll do it again. Watch, I'll do it again. You see, they were in some ways being faithless in that house while he was being faithful. They were praying, but did they really believe? They needed that. They needed that. And when you read throughout Acts, you see this, a Christ-centered church. 
When you read throughout Acts, you see a discipleship-motivated church. When you read throughout Acts, you see a spirit-compelled church. And when you read throughout Acts, you see a prayer-driven church. When we pray, this is all I want you to remember. When we pray, we grant God to have authority over our lives. And when we pray as a church, we grant God authority over this church family. Amen? Enjoy the bungee cord. It, 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 you feel like it's just kind of there, but God is using that to draw you into a deep, intimate relationship with him to continually reveal to you he's got your back. If he's brought you this far, he is not going to let you fail. Don't step out of the process. Stay in it. Amen? And I'm going to stay in it with you. I am going to stay in this process with you as long as God has me here. And I am praying that it's for a really long time. Because I love sitting in the tension of this world with you. Let's learn that we need to be a prayer-driven church because God is granted authority when we make that declaration. Amen? Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org. 